you for some time. We are kind of beginning a, I don't know what I want to call this study, but some time to glean and dig in the book of Matthew, a section that is, is known as the Sermon on the Mound. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, This whole section is a, a wonderful section of scripture. It's rich. In some ways, it's hard-hitting. Maybe it's hard-hitting because it's very plain. But in these words, there's, there's life. There's goodness for us. And there's things for us to glean. And so, um, before we begin our time in God's word, would you, would you bow with me one more time? Could we pray together? Almighty God, we thank you that you've given us this morning. You've given us our life. You've given us this opportunity. God, thanks for um, soundness of mind, to stop, to think, consider. God, thanks for the, the grace at work in our hearts and lives that we want to be here. God, that you, through Christ, have purchased us. But not only purchased, God, that you're transforming us. You are making us more and more like you. So God, we pray, let that happen today. God, speak to our lives. We are overwhelmed, God, with um, so, many, so many heavy things in the world around us. But the Lord Jesus told us there would be wars, there would be rumors of wars. And yet, God, we know that these realities that shake us, they break your heart. Because this is not how you created the world. This is not what you created us to be, hateful and hating one another. And yet, God, the, the conflict in Israel, in Russia, in Ukraine, God, it, it only demonstrates and magnifies what is in the capacity of each of our hearts. So God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the freedom to be made alive, to be made new. We pray for those regions. God, we pray that, that your people would live boldly, would proclaim light and grace. We pray, God, that people would, in leaderships, God, would, would be, be humble and would um, set aside their own desire and think about the nations that they're supposed to be serving and protecting. God, we ask that your grace would abound in Stockholm. God, a city that has been so long, so, so empty and void, where churches have been, become weak. God, strengthen your churches. Even today, those that are gathering in your name, God, may they be, what they preach be founded upon you, your word. And God, where there's error in those churches or error within us, God, please correct, guide us. God, may your spirit be at work indeed. God, we pray that, that Stockholm, that Sweden, God, your gospel grace could shine bright in the darkness of this land. So God, for that to happen, we pray. God, let your gospel light shine in us. Let there be light, God. 
We pray that your Holy Spirit would open up your word to us now. God, give me help. Speak, God, through your word. And give us ears to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we kind of overviewed Matthew 5, 6, and 7, kind of trying to give a, an idea of what are some of the big themes. Um, one thing I think I forgot to do um, was give a one-sentence summary of the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody suggested that to me a long time ago as a way of helping us understand God's Word a little better. After you've read a passage, after you've taken a look, to be able to say, how could I, could I summarize this in, in one sentence? So for what it's worth, how would I summarize the Sermon on the Mount in one sentence? The, con the content, the character, and the conduct of a heart converted by the king of the kingdom of heaven. The content, the character, and the conduct of a heart converted by the king of the kingdom of heaven. We talked last week about how these words in this passage are an invitation. They're an invitation. Um, these words are also how they, they, they're describing a portrait. But one of the things we talked about last week that's so important, this is not how we become a child of God. This is what a child of God does. Okay? This is what the Spirit of God does in the life of the believer. So this is not a to-do list in that sense. You and I do not have the strength to do this. I've tried. For a good part of my Christian life, my early Christian life, I really tried. And I really meant, like, with best of intentions. And I kept falling down and falling down and falling down. I, I, I can't do this in my own strength with the best of intentions. So it's a description of portrait. This is a heart yielded to Christ. This is the fruit of that garden. These words are an exhortation. They're saying, hey, do I have your attention? This is how you should be if you are a child of God. So they're pointing us, they're pointing us up above this earth, above, above what we can be so complacent and can so content with. God is saying, look up higher. I want to do more in your life. I want you to walk in more fullness of me. So it's, it's an exhortation. And of course, these words are also a warning. They're warning because, as we said before, it was the disciples that came up on the mount, verses 1 and 2. But as we read other places in the Bible and the Gospels, the, the disciples are not just people who follow Jesus. They're people who were following him but were not really his. John chapter 6 is where it talks about the disciples. When they turned away, they didn't follow Jesus anymore. So in that, this it was a mixed crowd of people sitting or standing at Jesus while he was sitting, because that's how rabbis taught in the day. They would sit, and everybody else, I guess, would stand. As they're standing there, he was, he was giving this out. Some of it was a warning as he's looking around, knowing that not all of these people were genuinely his. So this is the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to focus in more and take the next couple weeks and look at Matthew chapter 5, 
verses 1 through 12. Would you read with me? Starting at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is an extraordinary list. It's quite a collection of words. Jesus says so much in so few words. At the same time, don't you get an idea that this is something of another world? This is an odd thing that he says. Think about this with me. Poor, sad, weak, persecuted. I mean, what, what kind of invitation is that? I mean, who wants this? Be poor. Be sad. Be weak. Be persecuted. Be misunderstood. Be despised. You see, because everything, everything that the world values is upside down. Do you get that? Do you see that? Because everything that the world tells us that we should value is the opposite of this. What is Jesus talking about? Be poor? I mean, I mean, doesn't the world know that if, if everybody just had enough money and we, we had it evenly spread go around, that everybody would be nice to each other? Maybe. Be sad? Who wants to be sad? Do you know? Do you know how many euros are spent every year in the world just in entertainment? Just trying to be happy? <laughs> this is unbelievable. I looked this up. 2.32 trillion euros. <laughs> that, that, that's a two followed by 12 zeros. 
just to be entertained. Oh, we don't want to be sad. Do you have any idea? Wow. Be despised? I mean, some, some of us come from cultures where respect is one of the absolute foundations. No one wants to be despised. Nobody wants that. The world does not value these things. The world does not want these things. The world does not promote these things. You see, friends, this is a message from another world. And if these words are true, which they are, they demonstrate how broken and upside down this world is. Because of the world, if, if, I'm going to say this, if the world wrote the Beatitudes, they would say, blessed are the rich. Blessed are the happy. Blessed are the strong. Blessed are the influencers. But the blessings of the world the best blessings the world can offer, they're fading. They're temporary. Think about this. The rich are often owned by their riches. And everybody who's rich, I don't care how rich they are, they are going to be soon parted with their riches. Soon. No one takes them past the grave. The happy? Don't worry. Be happy. How? Why? Happiness on the outside is kind of easy, but where does it come from? What is the source? So many happy people, empty, broken on the inside. The strong? Strength doesn't last. Let me tell you, I know firsthand experience. My body is just wiped out these days. Strength is temporary. And the, the, the influencers? Friends, it is absolutely insane the world we live in. It's, it's a horrible thing to Google suicides of influencers 2023. These people that do everything to get everybody's attention, every week you read about one who takes their own life. Friends, our world is broken. It is a messed up world. Solomon was right. Everything on earth under the sun is ultimately emptiness. But yet here, here, the first thing we read, the first thing we hear out of the mouth of Jesus is this word, blessed. Blessed. We need to let that grab our attention. Who are the blessed? Now, I want, I want to take this text backwards this morning. If you'll let me, I'm going to start at verse 4, and then we're going to go back to verse 3. And the reason is there is a flow of thought here. These are not just random things that Jesus said. I believe there's a structure to what he's given in these Beatitudes. And I think there's a, there's a very specific idea. There's a cause and effect. Because the Beatitudes are a progression. I think they give us a progression of, of two things, of salvation 
what it is to be born again, but they also, at the same time, give us a progression of sanctification. How God transforms us more and more into the image of Christ. So I'm proposing to you that the Beatitudes provide us a path for salvation and a pattern for sanctification. We don't get saved over and over and over again. But once we're saved, we, we all need to grow. And amidst that growth, we wander, don't we? We stumble. We, we, we grow cold. We become proud. We become critical. And all of us need again to get sights, our eyes set up. What does it mean? to be poor in spirit. Our need of God's righteousness, strength, power, and our own feebleness, really what we're talking about is the gospel, friends. And we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. How great, how glorious, how good our God is. And that we and ourselves, we will always stumble, we will always fall. But that God has given us uh, the answer to our weakness in Jesus Christ. So verse 3 and verse 4, they begin with that same word. Let's look at this. Blessed. Blessed. What does that mean? Blessed, sometimes it's translated happy. But happy seems way, way, way too, too empty, too low. Because happiness, we realize, is something that's just kind of, it's dependent upon circumstances. So it means happy, it means blissful, or, or literally to be enlarged. Now, some of us don't want that. We don't want to be enlarged. We're enlarged enough. But it's not talking about our waistline. It's talking about growing in, 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 in the capacity to who you and I were made to be. Oh, friends, you and I were made to be so much more. And God wants to create on us anew his goodness, his grace. But there's more. There's more to blessedness. And we could easily kind of zip past this word onto the rest. But I want us to lay a hold of this. Think with me for a second. Blessed or bless or um, give blessing. When that is used in the Bible, what context is that used the most about? Maybe it's a funny question. Because usually when we think about blessing, we're thinking about, well, something that I have. The blessing, we can think about this is the favor of God, the goodness of God. Let me tell you something about blessings. The purpose of blessing from the beginning of the Bible to the end is to be a blessing. From very, 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 very beginning, Genesis, they're given that garden, they're given this, this mandate. It was to go out, be fruitful, be multiplied. Blessing. Why did God bless Adam and Eve so they could be a blessing? Why did God bless Abraham so Abraham could be a blessing? Why did he bless Israel? So that Israel would be a blessing. Interesting enough, all of these people didn't do so well, did they? We take blessings and we use it selfishly. We use it, we misuse it, we abuse it. 
But the most common context of blessing in the Bible, friends, is not Israel, Abraham, or us. It is God. Think about this. We sing the song, Blessed be the name of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say? It says in the book of Revelation chapter 5, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory. What am I trying to say? Blessing Blessing is this thing that is of God. Can I give you a fancy word? Add this to your vocabulary. Ethereal. Ethereal is something that is like, it, it, it's from another world. It's from heavy, it's heaven. It's really good. It's high above. Blessing is something so far above us. And this makes it really, really amazing. Because, because God is wanting to share this with us. And, and I think we just kind of skip over what a big deal that is. Let's say, you, um, let's say you wanted to invite somebody over. You were going to have a really, 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 really special guest. And you wanted to do your, your biggest celebratory ethnic meal. Like the best, the best celebration food, Right? So you invite your, your mom or your auntie or your grandma because you're, you want the best of help, right? And you're going to make this feast. It's going to be days of preparation. And you, you're carefully measuring things out. You're cooking. The whole kitchen is just a cauldron of wonderful smells and aromas because you're making this meal. You buy all the good ingredients. You don't skip, this, you know, skimp down. You're getting the good stuff. You pull out the good dishes. Everything is laid out. This is, this is not going to be a meal. This is going to be a feast. What if you took all that, you brought it to the backyard, and you fed it to a bunch of pigs? I'm not saying we're pigs, friends, but what I'm saying is the difference between that and God's blessing coming down to us, it's the same. It is so much bigger. It seems like, what? Really? God, you are going to pour that much goodness out on us? We don't even appreciate it. We just kind of nickel, knock over the dishes and go like that. We don't stop and go, wow, God, you are so good. You made things so good. We just go on to the next thing. You know what I'm saying? God's blessing is so amazing. We miss it. We take it for granted. Well, the text says, skipping over verse 3, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. So God's blessing, that favor, that goodness is going to come on those who mourn? Well, let me ask a couple questions here. What is this mourning? What type of mourning is this? The Bible does say it's better to go to the house of sorrow than to the house of mirth. There's something about sorrow that, that, that teaches us, that stretches us, even though that none of us like it. It does good. We grow. 
But I don't think that's the sorrow that's talking about here. Contextually, this isn't just sorrow because of tragedy or heartache. This tragedy, this, this sorrow is different. This mourning is, 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 I think, specifically over our brokenness. It's over our failure to recognize the goodness, the grace, and the majesty of God. And the why we're mourning is when we see that. So it's mourning, which is a brokenness over sin. It's when I come to realize that I've offended God. That it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me who needs prayer. God says, there's a blessing. He says, those people, they'll be comforted. The outcome of that kind of mourning, that it's genuine, when I'm broken over my sin, there's comfort. There's comfort. We could dig into the why. The reason there's comfort, though, it's not said here, is because there's forgiveness. That is our first verse in Romans chapter 5, isn't it? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through our efforts. It's because we have turned in faith to God and we see what we are. We're broken. We're undone. We confess that. And this comfort comes. Blessed is the man who knows his transgressions are forgiven. What a blessed thing. It's not denying I'm, I'm a transgressor. No, that's not a blessing. That's a curse. Hiding my sins? No, that's not a blessing. God says he who hides his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes his sin will find mercy. There is this comfort that comes to those who recognize they are in need of God's grace and mercy. Is that you? Do you know that this morning? Well, let's go backwards. Let's go back because let's take a look at more at the, can I say, the cause of this. If that is the effect, what is the cause? I've got to find my notes here, sorry. Give me a second. Verse 3, God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's a funny expression, poor in spirit. Not, not material poverty. This has nothing to do with how much money you have. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. How, how should we think of this? It's not poverty of money but poverty of our, our very soul. I, I like to think of this as spiritual bankruptcy. Concourse. You see, when you have no money, you're broke, right? But when you're bankrupt, when you're bankrupt, that means you have so much debt, you cannot pay it back. 
And when we get to the place, when we realize that our debt, the debt of our sin is so great that we can't pay it back. You know what God says? God says that is a blessed man. That is a blessed woman. They got it. So spiritual bankruptcy is when I realize I can't pay it back. I cannot fix myself. It's, it's realizing I am my own affliction. I am my own disease. My sickness is myself. If we switch flip back in our Bibles to a second, we, we can look at one of the other Gospels that sometimes is called a Gospel. Turn to the book of Isaiah for a minute. Sometimes it's called the fifth Gospel, even though it's in the Old Testament because there's so much of Jesus there. Turn to almost the end of the book, Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah really helps me get an idea of what this is talking about when it talks about spiritual bankruptcy. Isaiah 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64, 6, it says, We, we've all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Your filthy rags and mine. I was remodeling my basement. Oh, this is like 10 years ago. And one of the hard jobs I had to do was I had to cut through the concrete floor, a long trench. And I, and I didn't want to get the whole house dirty. I was going to have to use a power saw. And so I, I, I made a little, little tent in my basement with plastic. And I get this big, it looks like a chainsaw. It's a huge saw. And you imagine you, you start cutting inside this little, little plastic cave with that. It had, it had a water hose to it, so it wouldn't be so dusty. But then it would be like um, getting the, the dust wet at the same time as it's cutting. Anyways, where am I going with this, Friends? That was one of the yuckiest, dirtiest jobs I've ever done in my life. Every pore of my body that was exposed was covered. I mean, it, I was hot down there, so I'm sweating, and the sweat is matted against my face with concrete dust. Um, it, was, it was such a dusty, dirty cloud from head to toe. I am, I am a mess. Know what I'm trying to say is I was dirty. But it wasn't filthy. I was really, really, really dirty. But it wasn't filthy. Now, filthiness goes one step beyond. If dirty is one-dimensional, filthiness is 3D. So let's say I stumbled out of my basement all covered with dust, grime, and guilt, and I walk over to the corner of my yard. Because we have in our, our neighborhood people that go walking around and they take their little dog. 
And excuse the illustration, but those doggies leave little doggy treats behind. Um, yeah, it really makes me happy. So what if I reached down and I picked up one of those little doggy treats and I started going like this? Ooh, now, friends, that is filthy. You hear what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? That would be filthy. In fact, in fact, I could clean myself up. I could get it in my very, very best suit, tie, and everything. And if I picked up one of those doggy treats and I started doing this, that would be filthy, right? It would be nasty. Friends, you get what this text is saying in Isaiah? It says your righteousness. My righteousness is like a filthy rag. Friend, what is your sin in the sight of God if your righteousness is a filthy rag? God says that we are unclean. And we try to think that somehow we can make ourselves clean before God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What do we do? What do we do when we come to this horrible place? What do we do when we realize that our robes of self-righteousness are filthy. We further realize that our rottenness, it's not just on the outside. Friends, it's on the inside. That's what it's saying here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We want that to sink into our souls. Our sin has separated us from God. Our sin is an offense to God. And that we have a filthy heart. A heart that's defiled, it's broken, it's twisted, it's deceptive. It's, it, it's maimed, it, it's hopeless. And that Christ is the only hope for that. And yet sometimes we Christians, those that name the name of Christ, we can be so trite with sin. God, help us. We smugly sin and say, oh, well, God will forgive me. Well, I can ask for forgiveness later. What are you doing? What am I doing? Friends, we are despising the grace of God. When you come to the place where you feel your hope is lost, when you're convicted of your wretchedness, you are not far from the kingdom of God. When you finally see, I don't have any goodness in myself. I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. Friends, God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, the great news of the Beatitudes is that Jesus has gone before us. 
Do you realize this? The Beatitudes, they embody what Jesus is, who he was. Jesus was broken in spirit. He was broken so we could be whole. He mourned. He cried out to God so that we could be comforted. Because if we're lost, there's a shepherd seeking to find you. Do you hear God calling out from the beginning of the Bible? Adam! Adam, where are you? Where is Adam? Adam's hiding in the bushes trying to make a a suit of righteousness. And God is calling out, and he's calling out to each of us just like he called out to Adam. Where are you? Think of the Good Samaritan. Remember? Remember the poor man who was left on the road, bloodied, beaten to die? You remember this? How's the story go? The priest comes by. Goes around him. You know why? The priest went around him because religion cannot save that man. And then comes by the Pharisee, the guy who's self-righteous, right? Self-righteousness will not save that man. It will not save you. And there that man is, he's looking up, on the, up at the sky, there is no hope for him, and he looks up and all of a sudden he sees a face of a good Samaritan. He sees the face of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Friends, if you are lost today, there is hope for you because Jesus loves to save sinners. If you have trusted Christ for your salvation and your life is wretched on the inside and smiley on the outside, you need to repent. Turn to him because God wants you to find his righteousness. He wants to transform you. He wants to wash you. Friends, God is calling out just like he called to Adam. And he's reaching down to you just like he reached down to the Good Samaritan. Call out to him. God welcomes back the prodigal. You see, friends, this is the unbelievable thing that is really hard for most of us to grasp. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Because we get to the guilty, dark place where we think, God will not have anything to do with me. And he's calling out. You see, this is why it says here, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven is there by faith. It's not what we do. It's believing. It's calling out to God. Why not today? Why not here? Right now? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Will you come? The kingdom of heaven, where self-sufficiency is no virtue and self-exaltation is a vice. Come to a kingdom that God has prepared, a place where he will take us and transform us 
Make us new. Make us shine. Make us into the people that we want to be. And we're going to close and we're going to, we're going to sing a song. And I really want to invite all of you to take time to respond in your own hearts. I want you to think about the words of the song as we sing them. Maybe you'll just listen. I believe all of us need to come behold the wondrous mystery to see what God has done for us. To know that God wants to draw your heart, my heart, closer to his. Friends, I would just encourage you to respond to God. If you want to come up, if you want to pray, you may do that. But we're going to take this time, close in song, and give this time over to God. Let's sing.